Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Today and next Sunday morning, we will be looking at one of the more amazing stories of Scripture. It's not amazing purely in the miraculous sense of water being turned to wine or seas parting or these types of things, but really I find it utterly amazing because of the real-life encounters, reactions, and applications that we can gain from this story. I have often said that most everyone can find them somewhere, find themselves somewhere in the story of Joseph. It's really not a singular story, but a collection of events revolving around this one man. A man that we meet as just a boy, in Genesis 37. And we know more about him than many Bible characters by the time his death is recorded. Only 13 chapters later in the Bible, but at 110 years old. It all takes place. The entire story takes place in the very beginning of books, in the Genesis or the origin, if you will, of humanity. However, we must understand how Genesis works and how the Old Testament works and different from the New in that we must understand that though we are still in the very beginning book of the Bible, that by the time we get to Joseph, we are over 2,000 years into human history. A lot of time passes between some of those chapters. We are long past the innocence of the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Humanity now lives with a very real ability for good and evil and sin and righteousness, directed by their own conscience and directed by their relationship, if they have one, with their almighty Creator and God. The flood has passed and it has hit the reset button upon the earth. God has kept his promises to man, marking it with a rainbow in the sky. And God's desire for relationship with man is still very clear to see. His hunger and his desire to connect with them remains when it is just the family there of Noah that stands there upon the top of that mountain. Self-governance is the order of the day. As mankind continues to try to navigate their way, into their best life, and into their understanding of their God. At the Tower of Babel, God sends them in every direction and spreads humanity around the world when he confounds their languages. Later, Abraham is given a promise of God, and a covenant relationship begins with God and Abraham, which is an unbreakable bond between God and those who would love and serve him. We read about Abraham and the family, Isaac and the family, and then we come to Jacob. And these generations are God-connected. They are connected by blood. They are connected by story. They are connected by 
happenstance and by intentionality, but they are, above all else, God-connected. Jacob, being a man prone to lies and manipulation, is met by God at a pivotal moment in his life. He stands alone in the darkness with his God, and he has changed forever. His name has changed from Jacob to Israel, the father of a one-day great nation of people. This Jacob has 12 sons who are the first of what becomes the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And it is the 11th son who is the subject of our sermon today. We cannot possibly tell this whole story in a couple of weeks. I would encourage you to read it for yourselves. But we will take this Sunday and next to look at some of the things the Bible specifically gives us to help us understand our own lives as we look at the story of Jacob, his son, specifically his 11th son, Joseph. We want to specifically focus on the areas where God does something unexpected. Somebody say unexpected. Has God ever done anything unexpected in your life? Has God ever shown up in a moment where you thought there was no way and he made a way where there didn't seem to be a way? Where he just turned the table and turned the tide and changed the entire story. That is what we want to focus on. Those moments in the life of Joseph where we find a sudden plot twist that changes everything. Before you think of Jacob and his family as some perfect Bible family, you might want to know a few things. First of all, Jacob married two sisters. So he wasn't very smart. <laughs> well, he didn't marry two sisters because he wanted to. He married the first one, Leah, because he was tricked into it by his father-in-law. And if you want to know how you can get tricked into marrying someone, you should read the story and do a little digging into it. But He's tricked into marrying Leah, the first and eldest daughter. But he really loves Rachel. Anybody see any problems brewing here at all? You can imagine how well that worked out once he was married to Rachel. And now he has Leah and the love of his life, Rachel. Things immediately begin to get challenging. Leah has four sons right away with Jacob. Rachel seems to be barren. This causes much friction between the two sisters. There is gloating and tears and offense and blame. And there is Jacob and four little kids in the middle of all of it. Rachel tries to fix it by giving Jacob her handmaid, Bilhah. The handmaid has two sons, but this doesn't solve anything, as it never really solves anything when humanity uses humanity to try to solve humanity's problems. It only complicates things within the family and it confuses the children. Because now who is mom and who are we supposed to be listening to and what are we supposed to be doing? Leah does the same thing with her handman Zilpah because if Rachel did it, Leah should do it. It's been a while since Leah had a kid so she thought she better keep her numbers higher. 
And so she gives her handmaid Zilpah, who has two sons, and then Leah suddenly has three more sons of her own. At this point, unexpectedly, Rachel has her first son. Jacob has his first child, a boy, with a woman that he really loves, and they name him Joseph. It will be several years later, 10 to 12 perhaps, that Rachel would die giving birth to the 12th son, Benjamin. In this family, when you read the story, you dig into the context of the scripture, there is deceptive behavior, manipulative behavior, jealousy, envy, even murderous behavior, which leads us to perhaps the biggest plot twist of the entire story which launches us into this idea of the unexpected and God using the unexpected because God chose this family through which to build the nation of Israel. God decided. He was the one who met Jacob in the night. He was the one who wrestled and changed the name of Jacob to Israel. He was the one that declared from that moment that there would be a great nation that would come from this man. And this man begins to have wives, and he begins to have children, and this is what they are. This is who they are. They're jealous and envious and murderous and backbiting and backstabbing. The nation called the apple of his eye. The nation called his chosen people through them. There wasn't anybody better than them. He had the whole earth to pick from, and he picked them. And it wasn't like it was a surprise. He knew who Jacob was. He knew what was happening. He saw the father-in-law setting up the trickery with Leah and Rachel. It wasn't like God was caught off guard or didn't have any understanding of what was taking place. But yet God chooses this man and this family. And if God can and will do that with them, uh, you might as well stop talking about how you are, you're, you're not good enough and your family's not good enough and your family tree's too messed up and there's no way God could ever use us and there's no way we could ever do anything. You might as well just stop talking about it because if God can do that with them, God can use and grow and build and establish something powerful and beautiful and lasting with them, then God can and will do amazing things with you and your family. If you'll let him. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got to let him. I come today to tell somebody, this isn't just a storytelling hour. I'm not just trying to recount to you what you can read for yourself in the Bible. I've come today to try to tell somebody, you need to prepare yourself for a plot twist in your life. You need to prepare yourself and your family and your home. You need to start looking for God to do uh, what you never thought God could do. Uh, you need to start looking for something to change uh, that you never thought could possibly change. Uh, you need to start expecting, hallelujah, the unexpected to happen because God is going to get involved in your situation. 
Scripture proves in the story in Genesis what Jesus later declares in Matthew 19 when he says, he beheld them and said unto them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Oh, hallelujah. I know you've heard that scripture before. I know that's maybe nothing new to you, uh, but I need you to get some fresh eyes and some fresh revelation, and I need you to look at the story that you walked in here with today, and I need you to realize with some faith in your heart that God can change what seems unchangeable. He can heal what seems that's going to be broken forever. He can pull you out of a situation that you don't see any way out of. We got a God that wants to do a plot twist in your situation. You think you are know what the end looks like, but God's got something far more beautiful in store for you. Oh, I wish somebody would believe what I'm preaching today. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Scripture proves that to us, and Jesus declares it. In Genesis 37, 3 and 4, now Israel, who was Jacob, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him. And they could not speak peaceably unto him. Now this is not really that unexpected. Though still wrong and very problematic in a family. Jacob was 91 years old when he finally got a son from his beloved Rachel. And his heart for her extends to now Joseph. It's special to him. And unfortunately, he's not real good at hiding it. Lacking wisdom, he prepares for Joseph a special garment, elaborate and ornate, which operated like a target on the back of Joseph for his brothers. Because of Jacob's favoritism, the other brothers grow to hate Joseph. And they were generally not great guys to begin with. So this was a bad decision that opened up the door to tragic behavior in a family. You see, in life, our actions have great effect on our fellow man. Family more than, than all. Families divided in favoritism shown or abuse for some and not others, neglect for some and not others is devastating to any child at any age. It was not hard for the brothers who already had an evil streak in them to rally around the idea that Joseph was to be hated above all. They needed a target. They needed something that they could all agree on to hate. They all had their own individual issues, their individual sins, their individual problems. But every group needs something that they can all hate together. At least that seems to be the way humanity works. And when the coat was put on Joseph's back, it became the target. Someone here today may know the feeling of a family division. Someone may know exactly how the brothers or how Joseph felt. Maybe you've been mistreated or a family member or father. Maybe there was favoritism showed or maybe you were the one that was the favorite. 
Nobody ever volunteers to say, yeah, I was the favorite. But here's a plot twist. Here's an unexpected outcome. Joseph, the youngest child for at least 10 years or so before Benjamin shows up, who would be bullied, manipulated, and very impressionable as the youngest child of these other brothers, does not follow in the shoes of his older brothers. He does not take the easy route into sin and darkness. He does not do what humanity usually does. Instead, Joseph is open to be influenced by a higher source. Instead, there is something inside of Joseph's heart and his mind that causes him to lift up his eyes a little bit and believe that there has to be something more than this. That surely I don't have to just follow that. Surely I don't have to just behave that way. I know that's how they've behaved, and I know how that's the previous generation done it, but surely I don't have to do that. There's got to be something else. There's got to be a second option. There's got to be something that feels better than this. Oh, hallelujah. He doesn't follow in the shoes of his older brothers. He does not take the easy route into sin and darkness. Instead, he is open. His heart and mind are kept clean enough for God to show him some other things, some other ways, some other options, a different path. Maybe, maybe some of us need a plot twist in our own life today. Maybe we've been dealt a bad hand. Maybe we've been given nothing but bad advice and bad guidance Maybe the easy road for you is just to follow those that are ahead of you even though you know it's a dead-end road. Maybe it's just take the path of least resistance. But my question today is, is what if you said no? What if you said, no, I'm not going to do it that way? What if you said, no, I'm not going to take the path of least resistance? Uh, what if you said, no, I'm not just going to do it the way the generations before me did it? What if you said, no, I'm not going to live that way, act that way, and behave that way? I think there might be another way. I think there might be a better way. What if you said no to that and said no to humanity's answers uh, and lifted up your eyes and said yes to Jesus? What if you said yes to God today? What if you said yes to his plan and his purpose and his will? Way. Oh, hallelujah. 37 and 5, and Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him yet even more. God gave Joseph that dream. I'm not sure he was supposed to tell it to his brothers, but God gave him the dream, and it was for him, and it was to inspire him, and it was to lead him. It was illustrative of his brothers all bowing down to him someday, which made it unwise for him to immediately go and share it with everyone. Joseph is not following in their footsteps, but it doesn't mean he's perfect. They hated him yet the more, but yet he had a dream. They hated him more because of it, but yet... He did have the dream. He didn't make it up. He didn't proclaim it over his own life. 
he didn't just declare that he was somehow better than everyone else. He, got, he had something from the Lord. He got a dream from the Lord. Something greater than what he was supposed to have came into his heart. Something with more purpose and more value came into his future. Something beyond his expectation came alive inside of him when God gave him a dream. You see, God is trying regularly and strongly to get our attention. Hit your neighbor on the arm and tell him, wake up. Tell him God's trying to get your attention. Come on, tell him God's trying to get your attention. You know God is working all the time to try to get our attention. The covenant relationship with Abraham that extends today to all the people of God, he wants relationship. He wants communication. He wants to talk with us. He wants to hear what we have to say. He wants to talk and give us direction. He wants to speak peace into our troubled times. He wants to calm our minds and bring uh, healing to our weary soul. He wants to give us strength when we are weak. He's constantly tapping on our shoulder. He's constantly calling out our name. He's constantly trying to get our attention. We're so distracted by everything else. But we've got a God who is looking for us every moment of every day. He say, well, why is he so interested in me? Because you're living a life. And that life he died on the cross for. And he's trying to get you to see there's a better life. There's a better way. Oh, hallelujah. We sing about the blood today. Thank Jesus for the blood. He didn't just die so we can live a nonsense life. He died so we can live a life full of purpose and a life full of power. And that we could become the people that he created us to become. Oh, hallelujah. He's trying to get our attention. He's trying to give us a dream, if you will. He's trying to let us understand that there's more to life than this. It may just be a dream right now, but a dream from God is much more than a fairy tale. Amen. I said a dream from God is much more than a fairy tale. Now, you got to have some wisdom. you got to know what's a dream from God and what's just a dream. I dream a lot. You guys dream a lot? We have dreamers, anybody? I dream very vivid dreams. I was telling my wife my dream on the way to church today. It was not from God. It was funny and it made me look ridiculous, but it was not from God. I'm not claiming it anyway. But you have to understand that God does speak things into our lives. That God does impress things upon our hearts. That God does give us dreams that are very real. That he wants us to hold on to. That he wants us to believe him. And you may say, well, it's just a dream. Uh, It's not just a dream if God gave it. If God gave it, it's a promise. Uh, If God gave it, it's a declaration over your life uh, that it will come to pass. Uh, You're going to have to get to work. Uh, You're going to have to start going towards that dream. You're going to have to let your faith rise a little bit and say, well, maybe it is possible after all. But if you hold on to it. You've got a promise from God. He had his dream. And his brethren envied him. 37.11 says that was the real problem. His brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. 
Everyone's not going to get it. Everyone's not going to understand. Some will even try to discredit it. Some will even try to tear it down. Others will secretly envy your dream. But you have to hold on to it. You have to hold on to it. Some will talk bad to your face about it and bad behind your back about it, but you have to hold on to it. Some will tell you to give up, throw in the towel, it's never going to happen, but you have to hold on to it. Oh, hallelujah. Don't allow the best part of you to be stolen by people who openly hate it, but inwardly long for it. I need you to hear pastor today, and if I'm not your pastor, I'm just your preacher today, so you can listen as much as you want or not. But you cannot allow people to steal what God has put into your heart and into your life. You cannot allow people to steal it when the reality of it is they they secretly would love to have it themselves. Some of the best parts of our life that we give up on because other people don't believe in it. Who cares what other people believe in? Who cares what other people believe is possible about you? Who cares what other people believe is possible about your life and about your family and about your outcome? Why don't we lift our eyes a little bit and see what God has to say about it? Wouldn't you rather listen to God than other people anyway? Wouldn't you rather listen to the voice of God and what God says is possible than what anybody else thinks is possible or not? Oh, hallelujah. They envied him. The brothers go off in a great distance to shepherd the sheep, and dad sends Joseph to travel and check on them. And in Genesis 37, 18 and 19, and when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. I want you to see that. They conspired against him to murder their brother. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. They said that in a derogatory way, but you know what? Actually, that's not a bad little nickname, I don't think. I think I'd like to be a dreamer, a God, God God-given dreamer. Somebody says, oh, he's just got all kinds of God dreams. Yes, thank you. That's me. I'll take it. Call me that all you want. Behold, the dreamer cometh. Now, as much as you do expect them to despise Joseph, we understand that. Jacob's made the mistake, loving him more than he loves his sons, giving him the coat, treating him differently. As much as you do expect them to despise Joseph, you don't expect them to plan on murdering him. For being a dreamer? For being daddy's favorite? I mean... Yeah, bully him and beat him up once in a while, but murder? Murder. You see, the truth is that everyone has opportunity to become all that God has planned for them. When I say everyone, I, I, let me just clarify, I don't mean everyone in this room. I don't mean everyone that's in church somewhere. I mean every person alive on the face of the earth right now has the same opportunity. They have opportunity to become all that God has planned for them. But everyone will not be willing to commit themselves to the dream. 
to commit themselves to follow after God, to commit themselves to give their whole self to God. Because you can't just give your whole self to the dream and not to God. (laughs) You see, this is a mistake that a lot of people make, so maybe I can help somebody today. God gives us all kinds of dreams for our life, all kinds of visions. You say, you said, I've never had a dream in my life. Yeah, but you know what I mean. God has, God has impressed some things upon your heart. God has shown you some possibilities. You've had thoughts about what the future could look like. That's what we're talking about. Maybe it was an actual dream, maybe not, but it was God declaring something into your life. And God can declare things in our life in a whole lot of ways. It's not always about, like, our ministry. It's not always about uh, our eternity. It can be about uh, something we're going to do in our life or something we're, we're, we're going to become. And it, it doesn't, it could be, you know, God gives you a dream to become a doctor or something like that. It could be a lot of things. The problem that people make sometimes, the mistake that, that people make, is they give themselves fully to the dream, but not to the dream giver. They think if I just give everything I got to the dream that God gave me, then the dream will come to pass. But the problem is I can't neglect the one who gave me the dream. The only way I can really get the dream that God has in my life is not to give myself 100% to the dream. It's to give myself 100% to the dream giver. If I give myself 100% to God, if I get my whole heart, my whole mind, my whole strength, that's how I've been called to worship the Lord, not just with my hands or my voice, not with just attendance at church once in a while, but with my whole heart and with all my mind and all my soul and all my strength. And if I give my whole self and everything I have unto God, the dream will come to pass. The dream will come to pass. I cannot neglect the dream giver in the process. Somebody say amen. They saw him afar off. They were going to kill him. They say, now come, therefore, and let us slay him, Genesis 37, 20, and cast him into some pit. Let's murder him and throw him into a pit. And we will say that some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. Genesis 37, 23 through 27. Look at this with me closely. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped him, Joseph, out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, the company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is if we slay our brethren and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Ironically, it seems that the coat that was part of the problem for Joseph, actually ends up saving his life. Because as the scripture we just read said, they were ready to murder him and throw him in a pit and blame it on a wild beast, right? They had declared amongst themselves, we're gonna murder him, we're gonna take his coat, we're gonna bury him in a pit, we're gonna say he was killed by a beast, we're gonna kill him, we're gonna murder him. But when they strip the coat off of him, they throw him in the pit alive. 
it seems the coat or the representation that went along with it, the representation of dad's favoritism, the representation of being loved more, the representation of maybe having life easier, or whatever it was that they had concocted in their mind, it seems that the coat, when they take it from him, was the real object of their passionate hatred. And when they strip him of the coat and they tear the coat up and then they just see Joseph, now all of a sudden they can't seem to murder him and they just throw him in the pit and they become content to sell him to the Ishmaelites. It can be things and not people that really mess us up in life. You hear me? It can be things, objects, stuff that we wrap so much into those things and we put so much value on them or we put so much hatred towards them or whatever it may be. Things that are connected to feelings and emotions can be powerfully impactful for good or evil. And they end up selling their brother into slavery. It's weird. They sell him to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites are their distant relatives, but also an enemy of Israel. They become an enemy of Israel throughout history. That still continues today. So turning on their brother put them into allegiance with their enemy. Turning on their brother put them into allegiance with their enemy. The Ishmaelites would have taken all of them into slavery if that was an option. The Ishmaelites didn't love Reuben. They didn't, they didn't love the other brothers. They weren't, they weren't thankful for them. They didn't hate Joseph. They would have taken all of them. They would have put them all into slavery. They were fine with that. They didn't like any of them. But they were sure going to take the one that was being offered. And so they had to make an agreement and sell themselves to their own enemy because they wanted to get rid of their brother. The reality was that they were now all in some sort of bondage. Joseph is now bound. He's got the handcuffs on, if you will, the chains, if you will, whatever it is that they would hold him to, against his will with the Israelites. He is now bound in that way. But the brothers are also in bondage because the brothers are in bondage to what they just did. The brothers are in bondage to have to live out the rest of their days seemingly with a lie. The brothers are in the bondage of what they're going to tell daddy when they get home. The brothers are in bondage of what if one of them decides to tell the truth someday. Can you imagine waking up every day for those years that follow, wondering if one of the brothers was going to speak up that day, wondering if one of them was going to say, I can't, I can't see dad like this anymore. I can't see him weeping like this. I can't see him crying. It's breaking my heart. He misses Joseph so much. His health is declining. I can't, I can't do this. I got to tell him. Can you, can you imagine what it feels like to live with that kind of secret? Living with secrets is hard, isn't it? 
living with secrets from your family, living with secrets in your marriage, living with secrets is hard. It's hard. And it wears on you. It slowly crushes your soul. That's why we have a God who declared that a part of our salvation is repentance. That's why we have a God that at one point says, uh, you may have to leave your offering on the altar and go and find the person you offended and make it right with them and then come back and worship me if you really want this to be done the right way. If you really want this to be handled correctly, you're going to get this under the blood. You're going to have to repent of it. You're going to have to say, Lord, I'm sorry for the sins that I've committed. You're going to have to say, Lord, I'm sorry for the transgressions against you and against my brother. You're going to have to repent of it because living with secrets and sins is devastating to the soul they rip the coat off of him and then they can't kill him anymore but they make allegiance with their enemy and they were bound to a lie to tell their father Genesis 37 as I come to a close now, 32 through 35, and they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, this have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And they knew it and, and he knew it and said, it's my son's coat. Everybody knew it was Joseph's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent into pieces. And Jacob rent his own clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Remarkably, you have a would-be murder that God turns the situation at the last second. But he doesn't turn it completely. They don't pull Joseph out of the pit that day and dust him off and say, we're so sorry. I don't know what come over us. We just don't like what's been happening and we just don't like the situation. No, he turned it enough to save the life of Joseph. And slavery is better than murder because there's still a beating heart and there's still opportunity for salvation. There's still a chance to be saved. And a father in mourning while his son is yet alive. Dad is devastated. He has declared that his son is dead. Joseph is walking with some Ishmaelites towards Egypt. He weeps. He pours ashes upon his head and he tore his clothing off. He weeps and he mourns while his son is yet breathing and still very much alive. Let me just say something quickly to the parents that are here today. Jacob declares over his own life I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. He speaks it with his own mouth. 
over his own life. I will have no more joy in this life. I'll never have peace again. I'll never feel whole again. I'll never know love again. Can I tell someone in this place today, be careful not to declare over your future what you feel in the present. Be careful that you don't declare for the rest of your days the destruction of the moment. You have no body to bury, Jacob. You have no definitive evidence of death. I know it looks bad. The coat is torn up and it looks bad and there's blood on it and it looks bad. I know it looks bad and I know it feels really bad. But if your child is not dead, then the story is not over. Come on, parent, hear me now. Come on, grandparent, hear me now. There's still hope and there's still possibility because there's still lungs that are breathing and there's still a heart that is beating. He's alive. You may not know it. You may not be able to see it. All you can see is the death and the darkness of sin all over their life. But you understand this. As long as they're still breathing, there's still hope. There's still possibility. God can still turn the situation around. And so I'm telling everybody this morning, it's not over for you, sir. It's not over for you, ma'am. It's not over for your marriage. It's not over for your relationship. It's not over for your family. It's not over for your health. It's not over for your mind. It's not over yet because you're here in the presence of God. And there's opportunity for God to turn the situation to your good. We got a chance right now to see God do something miraculous. Stand to your feet and clap your hands under the Lord. Somebody shout unto God. Hallelujah. Next Sunday we'll we'll see some more plot twists. We'll see some more amazing things that change everything. Beginning with Joseph being purchased by a man named Potiphar who was rich and a a powerful man in Egypt. The story isn't over. If you come next Sunday, you'll realize the story isn't over. It's just beginning. And your story's not over. God's still working. The dream is still possible. Your heart, your home, your family, your future is full of possibility. So let me ask you this question before we come and pray. Do you have your dream yet? Do you have your dream yet? Maybe you're new. Maybe you're new to this whole God thing. Maybe up until recently you didn't even believe there was a God. Maybe you're standing here right now believing there is no God. Do you have your dream yet? Have you given God a chance to speak into your life? Have you given God a chance to put a picture in front of you of what is possible? 
that is so much greater than anything you could imagine. We got a God who declares that he can do things above what we even ask or think. So what are we doing only expecting the minimal things? What are we doing only believing for the things that we can do when we have a God that says, I want to blow your mind. I want to just shock you with the possibilities. Do you have a picture in your life yet? Even though it may take great faith, would you open your eyes and see the possibility? Hallelujah. My God in heaven, I pray that revelation would hit people's minds today. I pray, God, that scales would fall off of eyes and people would be able to see with clarity the possibilities of their future. I pray that people would quit satisfying themselves with the big pen of life. They would quit being satisfied with the mediocre and the mundane and that they would realize there's something special and something wonderful that God was ready to do. If you just lift up your eyes and say, I don't have to continue down that path. I don't have to follow that easy way. I don't have to just do the expected. There can be something more. There could be something greater than you ever thought was possible. Do you have your dream yet? ask somebody today, are you on the wrong side of a bad situation? You ready to make it right today? Are you ready to say what needs to be said and do what needs to be do and repent what needs to be repented of? Have you been manipulated, abused, hated, and cast into the dark? You find yourself in the middle of the depths of a pit where there's no food and no water. Are you going to stare at the mud in the ground or are you going to lift your eyes up into the heavens? Sometimes God brings us to the most helpless and hopeless places just to get our attention. Does he have your attention today? Are you ready to give God a chance? Are you ready to go all in on the dream giver? Because God is still God in the pit. You hear me? God is still God in the pit. He's still God in the dark. He's still God in the sickness. He's still God in the despair. If you lift your eyes and see the Lord, it could be a plot twist about to happen in your life today. The front of this building is our altar area. We intentionally leave it open for right now, moments like this, when you feel that tug on your heart that you want to pray and you want to respond, we come to the altar. We come out of faith. We come with expectation that we're going to meet the Lord. And we pray and we call out to God. and We shout and we cry and we weep. We repent. I open this altar today for you to come, and I would ask you to come quickly and not hesitate. Ask the person next to you if they want to come with you. And if
thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week.